1: Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast of creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it, especially if it's your first time listening. And if you're listening for the first time because you are a magnet person wanting to hear today's guests, welcome. We have tons of other magnet people who have been on the podcast. You can check those out on iTunes and SoundCloud. Lots of great uh, non-magnet people who've been on the podcast as well. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to all of those uh, those guests give us some wisdom on how to create things and how to move forward in life. Speaking of, a girlfriend of the show, Justina and I went to an event last night by The Skim. I don't know if you're familiar with The Skim, but they are really great group or a company. I don't know exactly the right word to call them, but they're kind of a publication. I mean, they, they deliver news through your email every day, but they also have some other things like podcasts. Go check them out. But they wrote a book called How to Skim Your Life, and it's all the advice they wish they had had when they were 22 years old. And I think it's really a great book for the people who are growing people. You know, if you're someone who's trying to grow, you're trying to get better, trying to learn new things, it's a great book for that. And they have, they're have they on a book tour, and they had an event last night that we went to, and it was very inspiring, very helpful. And they said something in there. Someone asked the, the two founders of The Skim, these uh, two women, uh, Carly and Danielle how they started it and they said well you know it was really terrifying to start this thing just the two of us in our bedroom but they stuck to it and they they did it and it it just that inspired me and gave me encouragement because there are lots of things that we want to do lots of ways we want to put ourselves out there maybe that's improv for you and Maybe that's stand-up for you or or some some form of, of creativity, and it's terrifying to you to do it. But listen, you can do it. Yes, it's terrifying. That's par for the course. That's not a sign that you need to cut and run or turn around and go a different direction. It's just how it goes, and you can still do it, and people do it. So, just go do it yourself. I I really like that advice. I hope that is helpful for you as it was helpful for me. Let's get on to today's discussion because it's a, with one of my favorite improvisers and coaches, Lewis Kornfeld from the Magnet Theater, and it's a really great chat. We get into a lot of stuff. So let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Lewis Kornfeld. I've wanted to have you on the podcast probably uh, since I was doing the podcast already when I first saw you perform, and I was like, Oh, that guy'd be great. How, how long <laughs> that was before I even moved up here. Yeah. So that was October of 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, first time I saw you perform was that show, and it was Cornfield uh, and Andrews show. <laughs> and um, I, res- I just remember thinking you had you, your first line uh, right out. The gate in that show was something along the lines of uh, you were telling Rick's character that uh, the reason Rick's character thought that the water was so gourmet and fancy was just because of the way the room is set, the, re- the way the restaurant was set up, and it tricks the brain. You said it much more eloquently than that. But I just remember, how is that someone's first line? Like, how did they so quickly <laughs> have all of that to say? <laughs> it was so, like, intellectual.
0: Um, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, it I don't remember ju- that specific line, so I have no idea. It,
1: that... Well, it was just that it was... It's. It felt like such a fully formed, specific character. Mm. And I just... ...was amazed at, at how you were already there with your first line.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, obviously, that's the magic of improv. It's an illusion. Uh, uh, from being taught by you since then, uh, you probably didn't have a fully formed character. You were being told what the who the character was as time went on, hmm. but it already felt that way, hmm. uh, which is one of the most impressive things I've seen. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. And uh, I... I, I think that was... I already wanted to come study here, but that really was sort of like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely going to... If this is what is on this stage and uh, this guy teaches here, then, yeah, there's no reason for me to go to another school. Oh, cool. Even Thanks. though I love the other schools.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's very kind of you to say.
1: Thanks. Yeah, oh, well, I, it's it's heartfelt. I That was only the... third time, maybe, that I saw... Uh, Magnet performers yeah where did you see
0: uh, elsewhere at Alchemy
1: well before Alchemy it was um, at uh, the NCCAF festival Mm -hmm. and it was Rick and Chet and someone else and uh, was just like wow they're amazing yeah and then it was would have been November um, it might have been actually that October show may have been the second time I saw Magnet performers and then the yeah, that, I think that is it. Yeah, you, the, you probably
0: then, saw Rick and Chet and Russ Armstrong would be my guess in that first one.
1: Uh, as I have, I am so familiar with the name Russ Armstrong yeah. and like his face, but I've never actually seen him perform. Oh, really? Yeah, he's <clears throat> some he's someone who always comes up, but yeah. I've never seen him. Yeah. Um, but down at Alchemy and our festival in November, Chet and and Rick and Branson were down. Oh, funny right yeah and then that february at the nccf festival it was you and jamie and megan i think
0: um because that was right before i moved here it must have been i think it was uh yeah jamie bianca megan and myself Mm -hmm. the four of us Mm -hmm. um
1: that was uh a, a really fun show as well and um but by that point i was we had we were already just like gearing up to move. Yeah. And I already was was like hell bent on magnet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, the, From those shows? From festival shows? Yeah. Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. And then I found out later that I had actually seen a, a, a commercial, that that live commercial. That, that, that some, NBC one. They did. Right. Yeah. Right. I had seen that but just didn't connect the dots because I didn't know it was magnet people. Yeah. So, the and, and technically that could have been the first time. I don't, I don't know the time frame of yeah, it.
0: Yeah. Fair possible.
1: Yeah. yeah. You started improv in two thousand three.
0: Yeah. Where at UCB?
1: Okay, that's what I figured. Yeah. But you managed to also perform with Second City on a cruise sh- on their cruise ship.
0: That was a few years later. Mm-hmm. That was uh, I don't remember. Yeah, that was like two thousand eleven, I think. Okay. Two thousand, yeah, maybe two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That, that had been. That had been. Um, well after Magnet opened, I think Magnet had mm-hmm. been open for like five years at that point.
1: Yeah, and you were already at Magnet, right? Didn't you? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've been I've been at Magnet yeah, since since, the since they opened. Yeah. yeah.
1: So how did Second City come into? Because I knew that it happened, but I didn't know when that came into the uh, the, the story for you.
0: Uh, well, um, Second City came out to New York. Beth Kleigerman, who is the um, like talent coordinator, mm-hmm. she came out to New York looking to cast people. Um, so I, I guess the way they do it in Chicago is they have general auditions every, however, Mm -hmm. however long, and they're kind of open auditions to eventually get placed onto touring company. But like the step below touring company would be theatricals, which is the Mm -hmm. cruise ship line. Okay. Um, so I guess she just got... A little, she was just kind of like looking for new faces, was the Mm -hmm. story I heard. And she Mm -hmm. wanted to visit New York, so they did an audition out here. So I was, a bunch of us auditioned. I was uh, very lucky to be placed in a group with Megan Gray and Des Nash and TJ Mannix. Mm I met Rodney Mm -hmm. Morfill, who was our musical director. And uh, we were rounded out by a guy named Greg Ott from Chicago, who's a super, super funny Mm-hmm. Guy, really great improviser. Um, so we were the first, uh, like, I guess, New York cast for Second City for the cruise ship line.
1: Wow. And, and you, I, I know from talking about this with Megan, you all did just a ton of shows.
0: Yeah, we did um, three, we did four shows a week. Hmm. Five, no, five shows a week, um, plus a murder mystery. Oh, wow. Luncheon.
1: And that was for how long?
0: Uh, four and a half months
1: yeah, I mean that's just so much time, and I mean you were already had been performing for eight years by that point or at least learning improv, yeah for you're doing it for eight years, yeah, um, so you'd already had a lot of experience, but that has to also kick in the high gear
0: yeah it was it was a different experience. It took me a little bit of time to adjust to it um, I think like the biggest thing was I, I sort of learned how to be more of an entertainer, mm once I made that shift in thinking about it, a lot of the job became more fun.
1: Oh, cool. Um, so, be- because before you were thinking, how do I do good improv? And then not,
0: I, I, I have, I go through phases where I get a little bit of a stick up my ass about my improv. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm like inclined to take myself too seriously.
1: Mm-hmm. As do I.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's some that's a good, that's a good problem to have to work out for yourself. Yeah. um, So, yeah, I I think there was a—I mean, I always try to do good improv, um, but there was a point where, like, we were doing our improv shows on the cruise ship, and I felt, like, really disconnected from Mm. the audience. There was a lot of Midwestern crowds, and Mm. and there was a lot of pop culture stuff that they wanted to see. Mm And, um, I kind of felt like every time I would step up to do something, it would just kind of like land with a thud, like no one would laugh at anything I would do. Um, and it took me like a little bit to kind of just reorient my thinking and realize, um, I treat it more like entertainment, treat it more like showmanship. Mm -hmm. That piece we used to do, um, like innuendo. 185, these things where you kind of like come up with a bunch of jokes on the spot.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: And um, our producer told us, uh, or, or I guess our director, Matt Havdi, who's a, a really first rate director out of Second City, he told us that the goal with those two games in particular, laughs or booze. That's what you want. Aim for laughs or booze. <laughs> so I kind of realized, like, I'm not getting laughs. So once I started aiming for booze and I kind of leaned into into like oh, okay, let me make some like dumb jokes. Uh-huh. Um, then it became a lot more fun. The second city job um, it helped me unwind a lot. I think mm-hmm. my improv got a little looser when I was when I was done with that contract. Ah uh, yeah, and that's the elusive
1: thing I think it's so it's tough because you, you want to be precious with it. But then you can be too tight with it and end up not really being open enough when, yeah. when you need to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, you... I, I, I would say you want to watch out for, like, pushing too hard to be taken seriously by people. Uh-huh. I've, I've caught myself there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it there, there's, like, a particular kind of impression I really want to make, mm-hmm. and I'm pushing it on people. Um... And, you know, that that I think it comes with time. You learn to kind of like compensate for that or Mm -hmm. let that go a little bit or Mm -hmm. realize that it's kind of like not really in your control. And also, I don't know, I think after you've been improvising for a really long time, you just begin to um, maybe care a little bit less about Mm -hmm. like, are people respecting me? It's (laughs) like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Right, Um,
1: right. I mean, I think for me, it's like, not so much uh, are people respecting me, but am I seen as good? Yeah. And, like, am I being funny enough yeah. for people? And, uh, you know, it just gets in your head too much. Because mm-hmm. you can never really know. Like, it just depends on who's there. Mm-hmm. It's solely subjective if they think you're funny or not. And it's just like you're either going to land with them or not. Just, but I feel like I'm always going to not land with them if I'm focusing too much on trying to land with them.
0: It's an unanswerable question. Yeah. I mean, y- you can tell from the quality of the show that you're doing if people are enjoying themselves or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always sucks when you're doing a show that people aren't enjoying, either because you're not on point or um, it's just like the wrong audience that night or whatever it is. But but when you're doing a show and people are enjoying it, it's kind of a... Um, a a sneaky, very subtle question to start asking yourself, could I be funnier? Because then you start invoking these like imaginary world scenarios and there's no possible way to know the answer to it. And so you're always, you're measuring yourself up against this kind of impossible thing. Mm -hmm. You're always going to fall short and then you're always going to be a little down on yourself. I think about it. So, you know, it, it, yeah, it's one of those questions that's like not as helpful as it seems.
1: I've heard you talk about, in, in uh, the Magnet podcast, when you interviewed Ed, mm-hmm. um, you were talking about how nervous you were performing with them. Uh, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing because you may not use the word nervous. No, but you oh, were, nervous sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> but you were saying, you know, uh, you were nervous to perform with them because they were so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, you realized that all they really wanted of you, like you were focusing on being so funny... And, like, having just the perfect joke or the perfect line or the perfect initiation where they just want you to be intentional Mm -hmm. in your choices. Mm -hmm. And it helped you when you realized that. Was that something that came before or after the cruise?
0: I don't remember. Um, It was probably slowly coming before the cruise. A few things happened. It wasn't, like, a a lesson that I, like, learned hard and fast and internalized. Uh, I, I think a lot of it, too, was also... Um, growing into being sort of a member of the senior class, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when you kind of feel like you're a freshman and uh, you're being invited to perform with, with, you know, your icons, you, you feel really intimidated by it. And if you just stick around long enough, one day you, you realize like I'm the oldest (laughs) person on the stage. Right. And, uh, so you kind of begin to let that go a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's one of those things. I, I, and I think this is true of a lot of habits. I, I mean, I think habits in improv, you have to, you have to actively work on changing and developing habits, mm-hmm. but I also think that a lot of bad habits, or let me not say not bad habits, let's say, um, Perspectives that you may bring about yourself mm-hmm. that are m- maybe neutralizing perspectives or mm-hmm. perspectives that inhibit you or 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 maybe kind of pointing you in the wrong direction. So it's not a bad habit. It's just a way of looking at yourself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those just sort of dissolve away over time. Yeah. Stick at it long enough, and and you're just confronted with reality enough times that your imagined fears. Lose some of their grip, and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I don't really have to prove anything to these people anymore. I'm because yeah. they never wanted me to prove anything to begin with. They just wanted to play. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely the Second City job. It meant a lot to me to get that job. I'm mm-hmm. a I'm a, a nerd when it comes to the history of improv, <laughs> and so Second City's always really loomed oh, gotcha. very large. Oh yeah. So when i got hired for that that was a big confidence booster Mm -hmm. and i I definitely think yeah it was like going through like a little bit of a a little bit of a um, graduation for me Mm -hmm. into like okay the second city thinks i'm good enough to associate with their brand um so i I guess i can leave some of my insecurities at the door now because like that i've proven that to myself Mm -hmm. I, i i i wouldn't say i walked away like really confident Right. I, but I think I just dropped some of the lack of confidence, if that makes sense. That no, it's not like I gained sense. confidence. I just I dropped some of the stuff that was getting in the way of it.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine you without confidence on stage, but. Which I is mean, funny
0: because it's not how I feel ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I've, I've gotten the same sort of thing where people are like, oh, you seem confident on there. And like, I'm in my head the entire time. But, you know, granted, the first time I saw you was 13 years into you doing improv. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, it was different than year five or eight for you you know i mean it's you're in a different space Mm -hmm. a different headspace, and you have the experience to at least focus on the things that you really want to focus on Mm -hmm. or more of those things and like you were saying a lot of that stuff has fallen off but also just to go back to what you were saying about people inviting you to play they just want to play they Mm -hmm. don't want something necessarily special (laughs) out of of you other than what you do i heard even a, a famous guitarists talk about getting asked to be on like a, a big name jazz musicians albums and they were sort of like a pop star You're like I don't I, I, but I'm not good at jazz you know and he said he realized well they just want me to they asked me to be on so I'll do the thing that I do yeah so I don't have to be whatever is in my head about what I you know what I think they want me to be yeah I could just be me
0: yeah and that's always a hard one because whenever someone invites you to participate in their show you know, it it's always that thought of, like, um, God, what do they expect of me? <laughs> it, and, uh, I mean, it's bad to start to think of, all right, how do I adjust to play in the style of their show? Mm-hmm. But it's equally bad to think, like, no, no, don't do that. They want me. So what's, who am I? What's my thing? And right. you kind of end up bringing an impersonation of yourself to the yeah. table instead of just... Being you. Yeah. It's a real... It's a real... um uh, process to learn how to like let go of some of the gripping that goes on inside your own mind, mm-hmm. to to let go of like, um, just kind of obsessing over your identity as an improviser and just kind of not caring about it too much. Yeah, that takes a long time.
1: It's hard because especially coming up here, you know, people uh, even if I'm uh, intentionally trying to. Uh, Not get in my head too much about what my career can be here. You know, I didn't move up here saying, "Well, I'm going to be on SNL." You know, that's just there's so many things, (laughs) so many reasons why someone can't just necessarily just think I'm going to move there and the biggest thing that can happen to me in my career is going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So even without doing that, you still move up thinking this is big time. So I got to be big time good Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't really work that way. You know, like you still have a process to go through to learn and grow and get better. So a lot of experience that needs to happen before you get to a level that
0: you want to be at.
1: But you know, at the same time, I still want to kick it in the high gear and not have to deal with some of these things. But
0: I imagine for some people you thinking that way of like, okay, I'm in the big league, so I got to act like it. I imagine that, you know, that can do it for some people. Yeah. They have to give themselves... They have to set the bar that high so that they have to... Uh,
1: Clear it, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who actually have to set the bar lower for themselves so that they can feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to kind of get out of their way instead of instead of reach for stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, I'm probably somewhere in the middle of that, personally. Uh, it never works for me when I... I'm not good at, like, stating ambitions and then, like, reaching for right. my goals. That just never... I don't know, there's something about that that always seems inauthentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I do have certain ambitions. Um, you know, but I have to kind of, like, stay out of the way of them a little bit. i i, I And I think, in a way, I... I The fact that I didn't have to move to New York, the fact that I was just here, and Mm -hmm. so I never had to, like, have a sense of, like, how is this going to um, help me with my career goals or whatever. For me, this has always been just, like, I've just... I'm goofing around. <laughs> I'm putting off, I'm putting off all the things I don't want to do by improvising. So I haven't, I, I, I may not have even stuck with improv if I was thinking in terms of like, how's it going to help me with my comedy career?
1: Yeah, yeah. that's a good point.
0: Um, but I mean, that's just, that's just me. But, but it's also a fair point too. So I take a much more casual perspective on things. And I think as a teacher, I, I, I approach it from a much more casual, I approach it from a very strong Process centric point of view. Mm-hmm. For me, like teaching improv is less about um, working out a person's bad habits and like reconditioning them. It's much more of like slowly eroding away the things that are not working so that the things that are working will have a clearer path. Um, so for me, like, I always think of everything in terms of the long game, mm. but that. That being said, I also like killing in shows, right? I, and I think it's important to have that spark of like, yeah, I, I want to not only do the best show I can do, but I also, I mean, I want, I want to do a really funny show. I want people to have a great time.
1: I found it elusive for me to because th- I have had time. And I was talking to you about this the other day. I have had times where I did sort of aim for something into so like this. It was like the first time I did a, a stage play. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, this is my time to shine. I'm going to do this. And that's, I've, because of the response that I got from several people, that's exactly what I accomplished. I'm mm-hmm. very happy for myself. and con- It was a really boost in confidence. Since moving here, I haven't quite been able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, whether uh, I'm that type of person who, who can set the bar really high to clear it or not, sometimes it's just like where you are in life, too, you know, like I don't know, there there's so many variables that people really just can't control. Yeah. And there is I think even if you do want to like point to your goal or point where you're gonna hit the ball, you still have to be able to roll with what happens anyway.
0: Definitely. Um def there there's a point there's a point where you do have to just let go of um your kind of attachment to the results of your, Mm -hmm. like, I think goals are good and, and, uh, like aiming, taking aim and deciding this is what I want. That's a good thing. And you should define it for yourself too. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you don't want to spend 20 years doing this and then look back and realize, Oh man, I've just been floating around and I I have not expressed any agency for myself. Right. I mean, that's one thing as I'm, as I'm entering what feels kind of like a new phase of, of, improv one thing that I'm a lot more about making choices than I used to be I used to be a lot more about um you know, openness to the moment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I'm a lot more about like, no, you have to express agency in your mm-hmm. scenes. You have to make deliberate choices and then follow through on those choices. Mm-hmm. And then the spontaneous thing is what happens when we have people who are making good, active, strong choices? What happens when those choices collide? What uh, yeah. happens, you know, what, is it going to be a wave interference pattern or is it going to enhance the wave? Or That's kind of how I think about it everything it, it mm-hmm. every choice just sends ripples out into the world and then my ripples interact with your ripples and mm-hmm. and and that creates momentum for something and ultimately in a scene that's what the scenes about it's what happens when our ripples are interacting with each other and the way that those ripples come back to both of us mm-hmm. and how does it affect us and I think the same thing is true in your life too you have to you have to make certain decisions and you have to decide this is the kind of show I want to do or this is the person I want to work with or Mm -hmm. whatever but once you make that decision and once you do your best to kind of steer the ship in the right way Mm -hmm. there there does come a point where you have to let go of like the the results are not that's not in my control right that's not up to me just the best that I can do is is set a clear good intention and um, Mm -hmm. be appreciative for whatever comes back in response right I mean I've
1: for me personally, I'm real. I'm learning the difference between uh, me going out and being focused and intentional and deliberate about doing what I what I want to achieve, and um, learning the difference of not doing that and how that feels, versus like how the audience responds to that. Like there are those nights where you're doing exactly what you want to do, but the audience isn't responding to it, mm-hmm. and that feels way more satisfying to me than when I go out and I feel like I have sort of cheated myself out of performing with the integrity that I want to perform mm-hmm. with, and then the audience is totally with it.
0: I couldn't oh. agree more. I, that to I me, uh, people who come up to you, people who love the show, uh, who loved what you know was clearly a mediocre show, <laughs> uh, that, that is much worse for me than walking away from a show that the audience did not seem to enjoy, mm. but that you know, like, that was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, ideally, you want you want mm-hmm. the marriage of the two of them. Right. And, you know, it's possible to lie to yourself and be like, fuck them. That was a brilliant show. But I'm not talking about those where right. you didn't create an entertaining experience. I'm talking about the kind of show where you know that you did something mm-hmm. that you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. You did something that was a little bit more honest or a little bit more, you tapped into some kind of emotional reserve you didn't, you've never touched on before, Mm -hmm. or you played from a point of view you'd never played before, or, or you just, I don't know, something happened where it was like, wow, this was a, this was a unique experience. There's something special about this. And this audience just kind of didn't appreciate it for what it was. They had certain, they had different expectations Mm -hmm. and so they didn't follow it. That's different than a show where it's like, anything I do is good, and if the audience doesn't like it, they're a bad audience. Exactly. That's not the same thing. Right, right. But those are definitely, in in a way, you kind of, I I love those shows. They stand out to me because you know that they were, um, um, they're a little bit, they're precious. Those are the ones that don't happen very often.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if the audience isn't into it, it, it does feel sort of good it, it almost it almost helps if i'm doing if i know i'm doing a good job and, and doing good improv and the audience isn't responding because then i don't get distracted by how the audience is going to respond yeah and yeah. i'm just like in it yeah and, and focused on what i'm what i'm trying to do on stage yeah whereas if the audience is really responding to things and i might be i might start leaning into that in a way that would make me go the direction i don't want to go
0: which i think can be a good thing it's all a question of where the leaning in is coming from, right because you want to follow the audience is your partner the same way that your partner is your partner yeah
1: and i'm there to entertain them you know i want them to have a good time yeah so when I do get a good response to them, I don't want to ignore them either.
0: I think, you know, it, it, we want to surprise ourselves when we're improvising it, it, and um, we want to lean into certain things that never occurred to us before and, and surprise ourselves with how we're able to justify the lean yeah. in, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are times where like you'll have a great idea for a scene, but the audience starts laughing at something that you didn't expect and you're <laughs> like, oh, okay. I'll just do more of that <laughs> and um and you surprise yourself and it's a great experience and you have one of those shows where it's like wow I really was improvising I couldn't have done it without their response they told mm-hmm. me something I didn't know and by just embracing it I found something way cooler than I thought mm-hmm. That's a great that's that's like the most fun because then you know that you're playing with the audience as much as you're playing with your right, scene partner Yeah It's those it's those nights where the audience starts laughing at something and you lean into it Because you're insecure, right? And because you you feel like, oh, my job is to please these people, Mm -hmm. Um, so I have to give them what they want. So that feels like a hacky. Yeah, I I think it it can be very hacky. I I think a lot of times it just comes from not trusting yourself or 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 feeling like the job is purely to entertain, where you're Mm -hmm. like a server and you just have to kind of serve them what they're asking for. It it, the, the the ideal place is the audience points you towards something that you didn't realize and when you notice it you're inspired by it and mm-hmm. then you're all part of this one great thing exactly yeah but yeah y- you feel you feel kind of cheap when you sort of sell out your own intentions be- and you catch yourself just wanting to be liked more than more than wanting to do a a good scene
1: yeah i'm i think one of the things for me too and this is just because of i'm still growing in this regard but i feel like uh, I don't have all. I don't always have all my mental faculties yes. or something, you know. And uh, some of that is just like comedy brain needs to grow. But even for what I do understand about how comedy works and how it can work and, and moves that one can make, I feel like uh, they're not just not coming to me yeah. when I'm on stage. You know, yeah. it's like there's some sort of writer's block that's happening mm-hmm. uh, when I'm up there, and that affects how I can be intentional in a scene. And it's also there's this dichotomy of you can try too hard to be intentional. I, I feel like times when I've been performing in what felt like an intentional way or, or a, a character who at least had in, an intent in the scene or in their world, in their universe, those are the times when I'm most free yeah. and not thinking about it so much. Yeah. But it seems counterintuitive because you know, intentional, it seems like I would have to be intentionally doing something. Let me intentionally do this move or this kind of thing or thread this needle that way. But it just doesn't really work that way.
0: Well, it's possible to be looking so hard for your intention that mm-hmm. you miss the obvious thing. That's right there. Mm-hmm. You can be over vigilant for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause sometimes the intention is kind of so obvious that you're like, that couldn't possibly be it. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: Overthinking it. It's like, yeah, when people are learning algebra or something, and yeah, so this is an easy equation, but you're thinking it has to be a, a much more difficult problem to solve. So yeah. you're trying to use a, the wrong equation to solve it.
0: I did a show with Rick one time where we were in a prison, and uh, it was one of my favorite shows, and and um, it was just like I was visiting him for an hour in prison mm-hmm. at like a table, like one of those open areas where you could where you could you know sit with with an inmate. And uh, I realized my whole character, we were talking for like 10 minutes, having a conversation about something. And at the end of it, it was a lengthy pause. And then I was like, "Um, all right, what else can I tell you? And I realized in that one phrase, that's it. That's my purpose here. It's that simple. I'm just trying to keep the conversation going because, and then after the fact, it occurred to me Uh of like... Oh, he gets, like, once every two weeks or something, he gets a visit. And the rest mm-hmm. of his time, he's just in prison having to, like, think about his life. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to keep his mind off that for an hour and be a good brother to him. I was his brother in the mm-hmm. scene. That's all I'm doing. It was just that one line of dialogue. And then the whole rest of the show is like, I don't have to think about that at all. I don't have to think about anything. I know my purpose, and, and that's it. It's really, really straightforward and really like obvious and and in in a way, like from my perspective, it was like the most obvious intention within that situation. But that doesn't make it a bad one. There are times where you go into a show where you're so like you've preset yourself on like, I'm gonna play with intention. Right. I'm gonna have strong wants that you end up overshooting and you spend right. the whole show looking for it instead of just um, embracing what you find and and going with it, right? You know, you can search too hard, yeah. And, and those feel like shit because you never got to anything in the show, and, and then you're yeah. like, then you're like, I set the wrong intention for myself for the show, right?
1: I've that's been my experience this season. Uh, has just been uh, exactly that of just oh, I want to do this, and then I go up there and I don't have an opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I miss all the things that I should, you know.
0: Like. You got to, you got to like tend to your state of mind, I find, before a show. Because um, mm-hmm. like generally speaking, your state of mind at any given time is going to kind of either be restless and searching. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Energetic, restless, and, and kind of like anxious to like do stuff Mm -hmm. or you're going to be kind of like sluggish and slow and inert. You're going to be kind of reluctant to make choices and it's going to take a lot to get you to do anything. Mm -hmm. You just feel like words aren't coming to you really well. You're not accessing ideas really well. You want to just kind of do what feels comfortable Mm -hmm. or you're in a kind of a clear state of mind, which is like neither energetic nor inert you're just kind of like open and present and and you haven't really made a decision you're just kind of like okay i'm i'm okay what is the best word i can think of yeah and I, I think you want to get to that one that state of mind
1: right because then you're really noticing everything and able to process what it maybe means yeah. in a way that's like doesn't make you try to micros yeah microscopically fit find the game exactly or find the what the importance of this is.
0: Exactly. And and I think that the moment you recognize the meaning of something mm-hmm. is, is simultaneous. Recognizing it is exactly the same thing as taking action on it. Uh-huh. The moment it clicks in your mind, oh, that's what this means, is the moment you find, I've already made a choice about what to do about it, and now I'm great. It's possible to like force yourself. You're feeling sluggish, or, or and so you try to force yourself Um, you know, to be like, really, I'm going to be really intentional tonight. And then you end up superimposing an intention in a scene where it doesn't quite belong because you're not really, you're not really watching the scene that you're in. You're watching your own state of mind and you're trying to push through to another Mm -hmm. better place. And Mm -hmm. that's not great. Mm -hmm. Or you're just in a really active, let's go people state of mind that (laughs) night. And you're too quick to... Judge everything and label everything, and you're either like putting out fires that are taking place, or you're starting unnecessary fires on stage. You're just in a rush to get to the to get to the juice, mm-hmm. and that's not great either because that's also you're not evaluating the scene that you're in honestly. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like you're evaluating it in terms of how you feel. Mm-hmm. That this isn't fast enough for me right now. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, I think you do want to approach the show because you don't know there are certain things that are in your control and there are certain things that you can pre-plan for a show and I think you should pre-plan for a show if you're doing a megawatt show Mm -hmm. you're going to approach that from a very specific way you know this show is going to be a little bit more about I want laughs in the show Mm -hmm. so i'm not really going to do like deep heavy-duty character work in this one Mm -hmm. um depending on the form that you're doing this is either going to be a a, a very idea heavy piece Mm -hmm. or it's going to be a piece that's going to involve character work or it's going to be kind of a more fluid organic piece or if we're doing a mono scene with four people this is one where i'm going to get to pace myself a little bit Mm -hmm. i think that before the show you should kind of adjust your thinking You know, set your intention to just kind of visualize what kind of show it's probably going to be, Mm -hmm. and then forget about it. But that's
1: for like mindset before someone's doing a house team show. Yeah, yeah, or
0: anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it. it, You just want to kind of visualize, like, okay, what's the experience of this show meant to be like for the audience? Yeah. Okay. Uh, You know, so if this is a show that's going to be. This is going to require a lot of broad, silly energy. Mm -hmm. This is going to be kind of a sloppy, goofy show. (laughs) Um, I want to think about that beforehand. And I want to maybe get myself into a state of mind where I'm accessing that kind of energy so I have it available to me. I might sing silly songs in the shower, you -hmm. know, the morning before the show or something, just to kind of prime the pump. Oh,
1: interesting.
0: Or if it's something that's like a little bit slower, I might go set myself in the state of mind of like I'm going to go out and people watch for a little bit this afternoon I'm just mm-hmm. going to kind of watch what people are doing when they are just kind of not trying to perform for anybody right. I'll, <laughs> go, I'll go sit in a coffee shop and watch people at the table and just kind of notice them mm-hmm. just to put myself in like a very observant state of mind I think those are things that you can you can't control how the show is going to go mm-hmm. but you can control the state of mind that you bring to the to the top of the show and yeah. you should
1: yeah. I mean, that's a really, I hadn't thought about that, but that is such an eye opening point because, uh, lately when I've had shows where I wasn't crazy about it, it was because I hadn't done anything like that. I had brought a different energy to it because of whatever is going on in my day or mm-hmm. however I try to prepare for it. I just wasn't putting myself in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that's really good advice. I think some, some of this is what you were saying a, a minute or so ago is also an allegory for just doing improv mm-hmm. because yeah in a scene uh, you can have the wrong frame of mind or, or be focusing on the wrong thing and not allowing what's happening in the moment to really affect you. Mm-hmm. That's kind of just like learning stuff in general too. I mean if if someone is thinking I want to be in this place in my comedy career and I'm not They're kind of missing the things that they could be learning from.
0: Yeah. Your attitude is the, is the thing that ultimately makes the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you should be making active choices to pursue your goals. Mm -hmm. You should also recognize that the results you get from your choices are not up to you. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you're either going to get exactly what you want. You're going to get more than what you wanted you're going to get less than what you wanted, or you're going to get something totally different from what you wanted. Mm -hmm. Those are the, you can bank on at least one of those outcomes happening (laughs) and none of them are in your control, right? But you're in control of your attitude about how you respond to those outcomes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know if you've already set your mind to be disappointed and angry or pissed off or distracted right um then you're going to respond in a way that maybe isn't to your benefit certainly not to the benefit of your peace of mind right you know you're going to be angry at yourself or you're going to be angry at other people or you're going to be you're going to get depressed and feel dispirited or you're going to put the blame on some other thing or mm-hmm. Or, or whatever. But, it, it, you know, that's how people develop bad attitudes. And that's how those bad attitudes end up poisoning their own experience of everything. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a lot to that. Control the things that you can control. You can control the choices that you can make going into something. And mm-hmm. you can control your attitude right. as you're met with the results that you're met with.
1: I think that's a really... Uh, necessary point for some people because it's it's gotten to be such a big deal the uh, ten thousand hours mindset. Of, mm-hmm. If you practice something for ten thousand hours, you become a master. And of course, that's like if you do anything for a certain amount of time, you're gonna it's gonna feel more lived in when you do that skill. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, what people overlook when they talk about that stuff is this truth that there're some elements you cannot control. Mm-hmm. You could practice something for ten you can practice playing guitar for ten thousand hours. You're not necessarily gonna be on the level that you think you're gonna be at the beginning of that ten thousand
0: hours. And I take I, I don't like the whole idea of I'll be a master at this because I kinda hate it too. <laughs> to me that's ego. Mm-hmm. You know, that is I'm projecting this version of myself who is going to be impermeable. Right. I'll never make a mistake again. I will always have the right <laughs> but this answer. This not
1: how art works.
0: It's yeah. not how anything works. Right. Um, I think that's a very dangerous state of mind to be in, actually, because you start to kind of withdraw yourself from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and if you think about it, in improv, at least, it's the exact opposite of what we want. Right. In improv. You know, uh, uh, we we want to be surprised by our own intelligence, mm-hmm. and um, we, we want to be surprised at the way that we cope with the unexpected, mm-hmm. and 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 surprise ourselves with how coping with the unexpected leads mm-hmm. us to make choices that wouldn't have occurred to us, mm-hmm. um, and kind of blow our own minds, or, right. or, or or we're blown away by by how good our team is or whatever. Yeah. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. Masters never accomplished that because they're never surprised by anything because <laughs> they know how to do everything. Right. So I think that's the wrong way to think about stuff. That's a consolation fantasy mm-hmm. um, that helps you to feel less vulnerable. But I, I think that there are other better ways to reframe your vulnerability so vulnerability doesn't feel like a weakness. It, right. it feels like a like a, a pulse it feels like a kind of electrical undercurrent that lets you know that you're alive mm-hmm. and adaptable
1: right and that's such a needed thing in improv and i would say art performance in general you want to be able to be affected by things yeah and if you're not then it's you're disconnected in a way that's just not going to be great for the product you're trying to make or the, you know the piece you're trying to work on
0: i think you know you you, you can end up sealing yourself off and um, I'm, yeah. now I'm a master at something so now I'm just gonna deliver <laughs> what I do right you know and, and you end up you end up presenting last night's discoveries to people or last week's discoveries to people or you know, this was a discovery I made 10 years ago when I achieved mastery. Here it is again. You don't end up presenting today's discoveries to people or or in the best of all possible worlds you don't end up being there to allow people to watch you make a new discovery on one of those exciting nights where things don't go in according to plan. You're right. I think if your mind is already made up that like I'm a I'm a I'm a wizard at this um, I think on a certain level, you delude yourself, and you mm-hmm. kind of you, you probably deny yourself that possibility of of yeah growing
1: or even like just managing the expectation of thinking that you're on the road to mastery mm-hmm. or becoming a wizard just because this is not going to necessarily go like that. I mean, just like you were saying about again the allegory of this, like in a scene. You want to be able to be vulnerable but in your process of learning you want to be able to be vulnerable you also want to realize just like the reality is stages of, of learning are just different like mm-hmm. if you're learning a an instrument at the beginning stage you have really big strides in improvement but you hit a plateau with that at some point mm-hmm. where the strides of improvement are not that great mm-hmm. and you can E- that can easily trick a person if they don't manage their expectation into thinking that they're not really getting better or that it's boring for them
0: now. Or that's that's like where that. people give up.
1: Exactly. And it's, that's a, a thing that's just a reality that you just have to accept. Yeah. And you know, if people are thinking like, well, if I'm getting these 10,000 hours and I'm going to be uh, so great... Then this shouldn't be like that. Well, no, that's exactly how it should be. <laughs> that's
0: yeah, well, how it is because you're assuming a level of control that's not real. Yeah. You're you're assuming that you can control the outcome. If I work hard enough, I, the outcome of this will be exactly what I want it to be.
1: Right, right. And
0: again, that's not reality. Yeah, that's so not you're you're setting good. yourself up for misery because reality doesn't doesn't do the things you want it to do. We're right. we're a guest here. You know what I mean. <laughs> reality yeah. is not yeah. our it's not our it's not our pet. Yeah. we are at special guests <laughs> but it's going to treat us the way it wants to treat us, Yeah, how why. how we deal with it, that we can control. But what it does, I can practice 10,000 hours and then find out I practiced the wrong thing for 10,000 oh, hours.
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, I use the example of Shaquille O'Neal when he was playing basketball and everyone dogged him for how bad of a free throw shooter he was. When he was at the Lakers, Phil Jackson said, it's not that he's not practicing because people keep telling me he needs to practice. He's practicing. He's just practicing a bad form. Right, And so we... That's why, said, like, right.
0: he's, so now he's the master of this bad form. Or right, whatever.
1: his thing is going to make him miss all of his free throw shots.
0: Yeah, I think. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, the whole ten thousand hour thing to me, I'm like very distrustful of like corporate talk stuff. <laughs> yeah, anything. And I think
1: Malcolm Gladwell has gotten upset with the way people have taken that.
0: I'm sure because everyone. It's the same way that people t- take like corporate improv lessons and turn it into just like a way to enhance. You know profitability and productivity mm-hmm. which in and of themselves aren't bad things but right. again there's like a little bit of like an unrealistic sense that you yeah. have magical control over yeah. fate and you don't for me, the 10,000-hour thing always gets misread as, like, I will achieve some kind of perfection. Yeah. Whereas, no, I think what happens in 10,000 hours is you dissolve away and you realize that practice is the only thing that there is. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not practicing to get any better. I'm practicing because it's how I stay excellent. Mm-hmm. I think a big, a big issue, too, is, like, a lot of people have internalized this idea that, it exists in a binary it's either mastery or incompetence or mastery mastery and i'm not good enough to call myself anything so if i'm not a master i'm i constantly find myself apologizing for my own ineptitude Mm -hmm. um and so i think i think it's very easy to project this like great fantasy of what mastery is mastery is when i no longer feel the need to apologize for myself Mm -hmm. but there's an easy fix for that without having to be a master and that's learn to stop apologizing for yourself. <laughs> yeah. you're, maybe you're apologizing for something that doesn't require apology. Yeah. You know, it. and I think that there's a difference between I'm a master versus I just practice excellence mm-hmm. to the best of my abilities. I try to practice doing things as excellently as I can, given the context of the specific scene, this specific show, this specific Mm -hmm. partnership, this specific night, Mm -hmm. I may not hit it all the time and that's okay, but that's my practice. My practice is to just be as excellent as I can at all times. And you know what? There's going to be flaws to it, and some of those are going to end up being far more interesting flaws (laughs) than not, and some of them are going to be not interesting flaws, but why should I apologize to anybody for those flaws? At the end of the day, those flaws are the things that end up making me an interesting person. And end up keeping improv interesting to me. Yeah. So it's a weird... It's like, well, why do I want to apologize for that? Because I'm not Jason Manzukas?
1: Right. I mean, I, do, I, I have to check myself at that all the time, too. Where I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm not as good as Ben Schwartz. It's like, yeah, but he's got. he's a different person. He's a different me, person. And he's going to do stuff different than I'm going to do it. And, yeah. you know, I, if I don't have the makeup, then I, I'm not going to fire the way he is. Yeah. You know, i got to find the way I can fire. I, I mean, it's another example I use in talking about 10,000 hours is like Stevie Ray Vaughan he died in like 1990 and his brother who people will say is a great guitarist but they also will not say he's as good as Stevie Ray Vaughan has gotten way more than 10,000 hours in Mm -hmm. and people say it's got to be focused practice I think when you're playing with Eric Clapton and Crossroads Festival that's pretty focused (laughs) the dude's really good and he's really good in a subtle way Jimmy Vaughan but Mm -hmm. he's not Stevie Ray Vaughan Mm -hmm despite the fact that one has way more hours on stage than the other so what accommodates for that you know it's just that it's not about the hours that they put in it's about just who the person is and how they're special yeah and jimmy Bond has a lot to be respected for because he's just got this special thing that is who he is as a guitarist
0: I bet he's going to live his life in misery if his dominating thought is I'm not Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is obviously easier said than done because we, I think partly it's the way our brains are hardwired and partly Mm -hmm. it's the way that our culture Oh, yeah. Programs us and reinforces the hardwiring of our brain.
1: You have to be the biggest thing yeah. in order to matter.
0: Yeah. And I think that there's an unrealistic sense of just how in control of things we really are. <laughs> how, how Things happen because I want them to happen this way and I made it happen this way. We have very limited control over things. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if anything, and this is the part that's a lot easier to say than to do, but you know be the best Jimmy Vaughn that you can be mm-hmm. a- and um practice having gratitude that you live in the kind of reality that also produces a Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. uh, you know, um, in a way there's a certain thing of no matter how much I practice, I'm never going to be as funny as Jason Manzoukas. <laughs> um, I can resent that and be angry at myself or angry at Jason Manzukas. <laughs> right. Or I can kind of have this thing of like, you know what? I think I'm good. Every time I see Jason Manzoukas, I'm like, damn man. Um, that can make me really upset or it can make me appreciate that yeah. this is this is the, the reality I find myself in. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a weird way, it's like it's its own gift. As long as I don't mm-hmm. associate, like, I'm the problem here. Right. I, I'm as good as I am. I'm doing my own thing, yeah. there exist people who are better than me, whether because of practice or, or sheer talent or other circumstances. Why is that a problem? Why should I care about that? Yeah. Why should that disrupt my, my happiness with what I'm doing yeah. or, or how I get to spend my time?
1: There's so many people who have, uh, they're doing anything, piano playing, comedy, guitar, or whatever. And they saw someone who was just like a master, someone who was just like so, so good. And they thought, well, I'll never be able to do that. So they quit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who's to say that you still wouldn't have done something really special and great Mm -hmm. that people could appreciate that you could get something out of. I mean, I know for a fact from hearing uh, Stephen Colbert talk about uh, Conan, he really admires Conan. Mm -hmm. And he went a long time until like recently thinking he just wasn't up to par for Conan. like. he went through Daily Show and Colbert Rapport and getting Late Show thinking like, yeah, I could never get Conan to hire me because he kept sitting in packets to Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Which is
0: interesting because not to downplay Conan, but, you know, if you think of like early 90s Conan... It- he tapped into something for the early 90s that right. was kind of like iconic in that era. Mm-hmm. But Conan's not exactly the most relevant comedian in our times. And yeah. Col- Colbert serves that role in a way that Conan mm-hmm. doesn't. And that's not to take away from Conan. Right,
1: because Conan's doing his own amazing thing.
0: I mean, the, you if, if you go back, you know... My apologies, trigger warning for anybody listening, but I'm going to get dark for a second. If you go back 12 years, you know, and Louis C.K. is at the top of his game, and Mm -hmm. you're like, I'm a comedian, but I'll never be as good as Louis Mm C.K., well, who knows that you don't have something in you that just hasn't matured yet, and when it matures in 2019, and you're like, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. my comic point of view is way more relevant and meaningful now. What I had to say in 2012... Mm-hmm. seem to be kind of mediocre but in 2019 I'm on the point. Right. And where is he? He's a disgrace. Exactly, yeah. You just don't know, you know what I mean? So so you may not be great at something right now but that, that might also mean, it'll mean it'll exactly or, or that something that to you seems really obvious won't end up being a really meaningful point of view mm-hmm. when other people are ready to hear it you just don't know right none of this stuff is in your control so it, like disentangling your ego from that yeah removing yourself from attachment to to the outcome of everything and removing a sense of evaluating yourself based on the outcome of everything I mean I think like, that's your life's work only because it, it it's going to That's the stuff that gets you to quit when I don't want to quit. My frustrations want me to quit. (laughs) Right. But you're always going to have frustrations. Right. You know what I mean? If you want to quit, quit. But don't confuse yourself with your frustrations. Exactly. Yeah.
1: How has meditation uh, affected your improv? Hmm. Or is that something that came so much later than... Than doing improv for
0: you. It probably came so much later. Because mm-hmm.
1: um, you're a very centered guy. How long have you been doing...
0: Uh, Meditate... How long have you been meditating? Probably a couple of years. But I, I didn't really get serious until I went to India and actually like... That was, the learned, was in the last year. It was in November. Right. So I actually like learned from someone who actually is a good teacher and knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean that... That's a part of my life it's something I, I practice
1: I, I would have thought it's something that you've been doing for almost as long as you've been improvising no so you're you just your vibe is just naturally very
0: calming I guess so <laughs> I don't feel calm but everyone tells me that that's what I do to a room so I guess yeah, so
1: it's a, it's a good thing I,
0: I would guess that my temperament has inclined me towards meditation instead of meditation informing mm, my temperament
1: interesting
0: yeah Interesting. Um, I mean, I you know, the improv and meditation both have presence as a as a major thing. They both have taking in the picture that you're in, including your thoughts about the picture that you're in, and just kind of accepting that that reality alone is good enough. I think the big difference is like meditation is is about. Um, Uh, Seeing what's here right now. And improv is about seeing what's here right now and then making an imaginative leap off of that, Mm -hmm. superimposing something else that could perfectly fit what's here and now so that you make uh, a show out of it, you Mm -hmm. make a play out of it. So, I mean, they have that in common. But, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't really say how it affects my improv. Probably not too much. I've gone through, like, definitely... First couple of years after I saw TJ and Dave, it, it uh, I would try to like use my show like a meditation, and it was just a disaster. <laughs> I would. Everything would be so thoughtful and uh-huh. and, and patient and, and so present. But, like, that fake kind of presence? You're right. I know what you mean, yeah. I'm just, like, so aware of how present I am right <laughs> I'm gonna now. I'm going to be like TJ and Dave. You can't. <laughs> you can't. It, it, interestingly, the only way you can be like TJ and Dave is to be nothing at all like TJ and Dave. <laughs> yeah. You know? It, it, it's one of those, like, fun, contradictory Catch-22s that <laughs> takes a little bit of... Um, a little bit of experience to kind of learn the hard way. Yeah, but yeah, I it, it like just like it's possible to try too hard to meditate. Is, I think trying too hard to meditate is identical to trying too hard to improvise or to have intention in your improv or, right. or, or to have a or to have a, a an epiphany. Like try to have an epiphany. Yeah, the <laughs> the goal is to make discoveries when you're improvising. Uh-huh. Surprise yourself. Try.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's impossible
0: It's impossible <laughs> So you just kind of are ready for it I mean, I, what I think meditation has is Meditation is, is an excellent way to monitor your state of mind mm-hmm. And to learn how to adjust it So you get to that clear state of mind that you want Right um, Because ultimately that clear state of mind Is where you make intelligent, informed choices mm-hmm. Based on what's actually happening And mm-hmm. not what you hope will happen or what you're afraid is going to happen Mm. Um, when you know when you're feeling very like sluggish you're filled with fear about unexpected outcomes so you don't want to do anything at all when you're feeling very fiery Mm -hmm. you want things to go a certain way and you're going to push them to go that way and so you make choices not based on what's going on in the room you make choices based on what you have determined should be happening Mm -hmm. and neither of those are states of mind that are conducive to the smartest choices you can make so I think meditation is good about like learning how your own nervous system operates and mm-hmm. learning how to, how to, make that state shift. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, that applies to improv. Just in being more observant of yourself and recognizing yeah. I, I'm either in a very fearful, tight place or I'm in a very, kind of agitated place. And mm-hmm. what can I do to kind of okay acknowledge <laughs> it but pull back enough so I get I get to a clarity again.
1: Yeah, it's. Um a tough balance but there are opportunities to practice it and get better at it and it's always uh, giving yourself a break in when it doesn't happen because yeah. there's so many times when I, I'm, I try to meditate and I, my mind drifts and the app I use said like if your mind drifts that's fine but it's so easy to be like, ah, I'm so I'm bad at this, yeah, because my mind drifts, or like the oh, same with improv, like ah, I'm bad at improv because I'm not really listening on the sidelines. Like, take it easy, yeah, just like. Recenter on your breath. Recenter on the scene. You're fine.
0: <laughs> There's that ego again, though. Because yeah. Like it's the nature of your mind to drift. That's what your mind does. Yeah. Your mind is just constantly scanning and and assimilating and like reassimilating information. Mm-hmm. Your mind goes all over the place and it doesn't think in a straight line. It 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 thinks kind of kind of fractally, you know. Mm-hmm. So then, so what's the problem? Mm-hmm. It, it, I set a goal for myself to not let my mind drift my Mm. mind did exactly what it did that's like setting a goal for myself to not let my stomach digest it's like it's (laughs) what it does that's (laughs) its nature um so then you just kind of watch it of like okay how often does my goal not work out Mm -hmm. and you learn a little bit of your relationship between your mind and your and your and your ego or whatever but that's your ego kicking in again of like I'm a failure I set out to do this thing and I couldn't do it I'm a failure well it's because you're trying to do something that's impossible yeah that's not a that is a failure but you're not a failure you attempted an impossible thing so now you learn something from that how do Mm -hmm. I reframe my goals so Mm -hmm. that I'm attempting something possible Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that ego man Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> the funny thing, too, is like, you know, it, it. you talk in this way where it's like your ego is a problem, but your ego is really not a problem. It, it It's just like we just wrongly assume that we have more control over things that we do. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I think when it comes to, like, improv, your ego is a huge help. I mean, I'm constantly coaching. You know this. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly pushing of, like, tap into your ego. Have an ego. Have Be vain. <laughs> be selfish. Be greedy. Mm-hmm. Because it's funny. <laughs> yeah. And you realize when, when your ego isn't occupying itself by calling you the world's biggest piece of shit and you actually give it something better to occupy itself with, your ego does hilarious things. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I would say 90% of all comedy is just watching people's egos go out of control. Mhm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then it's just trying to manage that off stage. Yeah. That's really what the work is.
0: Yeah, which I th- I think is learning where to let go of attachment Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the outcome of things
1: that's why politeness doesn't work on stage yeah you know because you're you're uh holding back so much you know like i don't want to say that that might be impolite you know they might take that the wrong way or someone might uh not like this joke that i made. you know you kind of have to let go of a lot of things like obviously you don't want to be like a bigot (laughs) it's like but aside from that, like, you don't really have to hold back being a bigot. You just don't do it. It's pretty easy. But it's the yeah. other stuff of, like, I don't want to step on their line. I don't want to, yes. you know, I don't want to edit the scene yes. too soon. You know, it's that sort of stuff where it's like being impolite is not going to help you.
0: No, and, and you I definitely. Mean,
1: I said that wrong. Be, being polite I mean, is not going to help you.
0: It can, but it, it, if you're a naturally polite person, you, mm-hmm. then your work is going to be to learn how to be a little less polite. Right. If you're a naturally impolite person, then your work is going <laughs> to,
1: you might have to be a little more polite. You're going to have to learn how to show a little <laughs> more
0: respect to people. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I am, I'm also big on like, you should be considerate when you're improvising. Absolutely. It. It, 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 improv is not just, let's be totally spontaneous. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing. Improv is let's have a spontaneous moment together. Let mm-hmm. me let me spontaneously see your intelligence shine through. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, one half of that equation is like yes and yes and things so that you, you step into situations that you wouldn't normally step into or, mm-hmm. or you, you go along with ideas that you wouldn't normally you would normally resist just to see what happens when you're outside the familiar Mm -hmm. when you're outside, just pure habits, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And is a, is a wonderful and instructive tool to teach a person how to break out of simply being habitual all the time. Mm -hmm. But yes. And is only one half of the scale. The other half is your taste, your judgment, your intelligence, your selectiveness. I'm not going to make this joke. I'm not going to say this thing. (laughs) I'm not going to do this thing. Um, and that's where people get to see you. Right. If you suddenly suspend all of your, all of your sense of tastefulness because mm-hmm. yes and. Right. They're not really going to see you. They're going to see you attempting to be a good improviser. Right. Um, if they see nothing but I'm being very considerate but I'm not going along with anything, mm-hmm. nothing's really going to happen. Right. So part of your job is to find that balance of how do I say yes to things that this doesn't feel right to say yes to let's see what happens. What happens when I go through this door, but do it in a way where I know I'm also not deliberately going down a path where like, this is going to really upset people. And, (laughs) you know, and that balance, that's where you show your integrity as a person. That's where you show your character as a person, you Mm -hmm. yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, that's an idea that I think doesn't get talked about enough in improv or outside of improv. We're responsible for our own character our own integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, and that comes down to our choices and our attitude. Do we have a good attitude? Do we make informed, smart, considerate choices Mm -hmm. or do we have a bad attitude or whatever? But you know, our life's work is to develop our own character and to make sure we have, Integrity, You know, to make sure that when we die, people have something good to say about <laughs> us. And we practice that when we're improvising. We mm-hmm. practice making choices on the fly in front of people in situations where we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Right. We should be making considerate, thoughtful, kind-hearted choices, mm-hmm. um, which is not the same thing as... I'm not going to step on your toes or edit you. Right. That's a thing of like, no, within the context, we're in an agreement when we're playing the show, Mm -hmm. we are in an agreement to create trouble for each other. Right. (laughs) That's our job is to find interesting opportunities to create trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that means I do have to find that part of me that desperately wants to interrupt you (laughs) desperately wants to, you know what I mean? Like, and that's actually being a very considerate Mm -hmm. improviser. Right. And you're not
1: inconsiderate to edit because that's part of the rules that everyone agreed to. You know, like, like I'm not stepping outside of the lines by editing a scene. Yeah. It's maybe how I do it. That can be
0: rude, but you know, I'm not trying to do that. So I know I'm going to avoid it. I think you're inconsiderate to not edit a scene. Yeah. Because if it's a good scene, you will find a way to come back to it. Mm-hmm. And if it's a bad scene, you will be very happy it's been edited. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's letting scenes go on so long that they just lose their fizz. <laughs> yeah. You're um, making it
1: harder for them,
0: and that's a case where your considerateness is actually a very selfish considerateness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because now it's becoming look how considerate I am mm-hmm. rather than I'm just going to help I don't this do show.
1: Something to them, yeah, it's yeah. not about
0: the show. It becomes a little bit of a neurotic politeness to other mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. where it becomes more about the fact that you're polite than whether your behavior is genuinely the polite, respectful thing to do. Right, and that I mean. You know, unfortunately, the only way to learn how to edit well is to edit badly a few times. (laughs) Yeah. And you got got to develop the rhythm for it. And not only, I mean, there's comedy rhythm and there's also, you got to be able to read the room and have a sense of how much more do these people have in them. Can they, can the scene go on another five minutes or are they done? Mm -hmm. And part of that is like playing with people for long enough that you just kind of begin to read their body language. Part of it is just a little bit more of an intuitive thing where you just kind of feel like, Oh, there's more potential in this scene. And I trust these improvisers enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, you, you, hone that skill, but you should be editing. Everyone should be editing.
1: <laughs> well, this is a good time to edit the discussion portion and yeah. go into the end of the episode where we create something. Together. Great. Um, but given what we've talked about, I don't know what's jumping out as, uh, mm. Uh, for me, something specific to sort of demonstrate to the audience. Yeah. Um, hmm. Because we were talking a lot about what if we, we were talking so much about being open and free. Is there a way to demonstrate what we mean when we talk about that in an, like in an improv scene?
0: Uh, openness, Yeah, I, I, I think openness in scenes is what happens between the lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And um, so, like an exercise that I like to do in class sometimes is just, um, <coughs> excuse me, have people do scenes where you say something very normal and just wait a couple of seconds to respond. But in the couple of seconds what are you doing while you're waiting to respond you're not just pausing you're using those couple of seconds to see what the other person's talking about just get an image of it in your head and then respond to them (laughs) it's not helping (laughs) whoever you're honking at is well aware that there it doesn't work Um, but you feel like you're doing something you feel like you're contributing something that's kind of it's just, you know. It's
1: um, always funny, too, when it's like the second horn is this dinky little. Yes. It's like you get the loud one. Yes. And then the other one's like, eh. I,
0: I like to think that it's a person who's been encouraged by the loud one. They're like the little, like, toady second car who's just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> you said it, boss. You know. Just on a side thing, I went to India for a little bit with, right. with Megan. mm mm-hmm. And um, India is the noisiest place I've ever experienced. The car horns, I mean, people use car horns just like to communicate. They Mm -hmm. just honk constantly Mm -hmm. about everything. They will honk just to let you know, hey, I'm driving next year right now. (laughs) So when I got back to New York, I was like, can't believe how quiet and relaxed it is here. My first week back in New York was like, holy shit! This place is so gentle. I keep
1: man. hearing that about like a lot of places, a lot of different areas overseas. Yeah. Where, like how loud people are. And yeah. How quick they are to even get out of a car. And yeah. Have a conversation about you, whatever.
0: No joke. You don't realize how relaxing this is. Yeah. Yeah. Even here in the middle of in the middle of Koreatown, <laughs> right. it's like, nah, man, this is nothing. <laughs> this is nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so openness, openness. Um, and the exercise uh, was that pause yeah and you know it's not just that you don't like say give me like an ordinary line of dialogue
1: I went to the doctor earlier and he told me uh, uh, it's everything's good (laughs)
0: It's not that. You know, it a it's not line. No, it's a great line. But I'm just I, that was like a demonstration of like a bad pause. I'm just like staring you down. <laughs> yeah, and all yeah. I'm doing in that staring down is waiting my turn or uh-huh. th- trying to think of things to say. Uh-huh. And that to me isn't really openness. Okay. Openness mm-hmm. is creating a space around your line of dialogue, but it's not just waiting my turn nor mm-hmm. is it thinking of things to say. It's really just taking a second to like visualize what you're saying mm-hmm. and then let my response be a very spontaneous thing. Okay. You know, so this is not going to be funny or good improv, but give me that same line of dialogue again. Okay. Uh, I went to the doctor today and he said, everything is going to be okay. (sighs) That's a huge relief. So it's a really like obvious response and Mm -hmm. not really a funny thing, but what it does is, um, but just being like a little bit open to what you mm-hmm. said and not too quick to respond to it, but also right. not taking those like painfully long, let me right. think of a really great response. Right.
1: Exactly. I,
0: I, start to, I start to, um, really absorb
1: it more.
0: Yeah. I, I start. Yeah. Yeah. Cause
1: the first time you were way more stiff Yes. and like, it didn't look like you were paying attention or it, it looked like you didn't like it.
0: it. It's like I'm wearing one of those raincoats where like your line of dialogue just beads just, on the surface, right. but it never goes anywhere.
1: And the second time it seemed like you actually absorbed it. That's and, it, yeah. And uh, just like going by body language alone.
0: Yeah, that's openness to me. Mm-hmm. Openness is like, it's like um, like watering a house planter. Mm-hmm. You, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's like it, it can permeate the soil. It, mm-hmm. you, openness is just letting it get in you. Mm-hmm. And then you don't know what you're going to do in response but you let it get in you first and then when you're responding Mm -hmm. you're responding from a more connected place right whereas if i'm the raincoat thing my response is like independent of you right i'm I'm responding to what i think will be a funny or correct response instead of just responding to you exactly i don't know how to build that into anything but that's my sense on open but i i
1: really appreciate it it was even something i thought about once when someone a stranger passed me on the street and said hey And I said something like, um, "Oh, okay, like it's okay," or something like that wasn't a proper response. It was like as if they had said to me, "How are you?" Yeah. You know, how's your day? Yeah. And I responded to that question that they didn't actually say. Yeah. Because, and I realized instantly, you know, those it's it happens a lot on the improv stage too, where someone says something and you get the general gist of what's happening in that moment, like this person is just speaking to me, Uh, so what's what's just like the thing you say Mm -hmm. in response to that? Mm -hmm. And I didn't absorb at all what they actually said. I didn't take, I didn't give myself a pause to Mm -hmm. think, oh they said hello, well hello, Mm -hmm. you know, like I didn't do that at all, and that happens all the time in improv. Where people aren't really absorbing what the person said, they're, they're just thinking, well, uh, then uh, this is a doctor-patient relationship and we're in this location, so this must be the kind of response that I should have. Mm-hmm. And they never really absorbed anything and let it affect them. And they didn't even consciously become aware of what was even said or yeah. happened. All
0: the things that happen. Yeah, I, 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 uh, people will oftentimes play improv scenes like they're playing ping pong. It's just uh, like hitting an idea back and forth, back mm-hmm, and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth. You know, it, it's like your idea never lands on me and actually like permeates me. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I swat it back to you immediately because mm-hmm. I have to yes and. Honestly, I think a lot of that is, is we teach yes and, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people interpret yes and as I have to say yes and then and mm-hmm. to every line of dialogue that comes my way and mm-hmm. so they get used to thinking about and if i don't say it immediately i am failing my partner or failing right. my scene or my teacher is going to stop me and call me out so i have to immediately say right. yes You're and to you. and so that's the scene has that thing mm-hmm. where it's like i'm not i'm hearing the words but i'm not understanding the words right I'm, I'm, or I'm responding to the words, but I'm not responding to the person saying those words. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, that, to me, like openness is like bring as much attention to the in-between moments as you bring to the moment moments, right. and recognize that the in-between moments are where the moment moments come from. You know, mm-hmm. the lines of dialogue only come out of the not lines of dialogue. <laughs> so, if you're not bringing attention to the not lines of dialogue, your dialogue is going to be coming from a suspect place. Yeah your dialogue is going to be coming from your needs Mm -hmm. as an improviser rather than your character's intentions. And, you know, depending on the kind of show you're in, if I'm doing a show with Rick, um, I'm not really going to engineer too much. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take it very simply and be very open. if you're doing a
1: two-person show that's lasting an hour. Lasts an
0: hour. Right. So I know we have a lot of time Mm -hmm. to let it... um, kind of reveal itself to Mm -hmm. us you know i mean we'll get we'll we will know more or less the gist Mm -hmm. of who we are and what's going on within the first 30 seconds of a show Mm -hmm. but within that gist we have a long time to bring texture to everything Mm -hmm. and that's the fun of that show for me is we bring the texture to it you know um uh
1: is there a form or
0: no start with a scene and then whatever Mm -hmm add people as we need to or cut to things as we need to or, mm-hmm. or don't mm-hmm. but more or less if we like these characters and they seem <laughs> to have legs just stay with them and see what happens yeah. um, but you know th- that's the kind of thing where I will approach that show with a lot of openness mm-hmm. I'll bring as much care to when we're not talking as to when we're talking but also I'm very alert to what's my intention here mm-hmm. um, and it's not something I have to decide it's usually something that I notice it Mm -hmm. oh there it is that's it that's the reason why I'm talking to him right now or that's what I'm trying to get him to do Mm -hmm. your intention in a scene almost always relates to what do I want the other person to do Mm -hmm. it's rarely what do I want it's what do I want them to do I want them to feel welcome I want Mm -hmm. them to shut up I want them (laughs) to give me a hug I want them to feel sorry Mm -hmm. whatever Um, as soon as you realize, oh, that's why I'm talking to you, I'm trying to get you to do that, that's it. So openness brings you to this sense of like, oh, this is what I'm acting on for the rest of the show. If I'm doing a Harold or montage, I'm not really going to play that way. I'm going to start off much more considerate about, okay, this is is the joke that's at the center of this scene. But now once I decide on the joke, I'm not going to press it too hard. I'm going to... I'm going to retain a sense of openness for the whole rest of the scene to let whatever happens happens but whatever happens I'm going to find a way to tie it back to the central joke that I've already decided Uh is my joke in this scene you know Mm -hmm. so it starts with a little bit more deliberation Mm -hmm. but it's still that same sense of like like in my mind there's no difference between slow and fast comedy it's exactly the same thing
1: I have a I have the same opinion. I have the exact same opinion, because people will say, oh, TJ and Dave, that's like slow, and uh, Ask cat that's like real fast. Mm-hmm. But in o- all honesty, they're making choices every second. Yes. In both yes. shows. And it's just the way it appears somehow. That It's just the illusion of, of certain things. And as, plus there's as, a lot of like running and editing. There's a lot of editing. It
0: moves faster. Right. It's more succinct. Right. And people will be making choices in Ask ASCAT to move to the next thing. Each mm-hmm. choice moves mm-hmm. forward to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a TJ and Dave show, each choice moves deeper into the thing that's exactly. already here.
1: Yeah. And so you're not seeing someone whip across the stage yeah. to move to something else. You're seeing someone just live life, yeah. In <laughs> TJ and Dave.
0: Yeah. So what you see with students a lot mm-hmm. is people will imitate the fast shows, and they'll just everything will just be. There's no openness. Right. There's no breathing room to let anything actually sink in. They just feel like they have to populate it with lots of ideas, or you'll see them do slow shows where it's very open, but mm-hmm. they're not making any choices. Right. It's just a lot of <laughs> blank weird (laughs) dead pauses. (laughs) And then usually what happens is things get very dramatic because you feel this Mm -hmm. weight in the scene and you don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So then every single scene becomes a divorce scene or or whatever.
1: Yeah. Mom died. So, you know, you just have to move on. Yeah.
0: And that's an artificial heaviness that comes out of, I just didn't make any choices that are fun. Right. And I have all this open space suddenly. Mm -hmm. And then people will blame like, well, slow comedy isn't fun or, or, (laughs) or fast comedy is too fast fast and it's really not it's, <laughs> it's like not you got to find your balance mm-hmm. well there it is we, so we built nothing
1: no i feel like talking uh, talking out openness that way is is the thing
0: yeah okay i'll accept yeah. it
1: <laughs> i thought
0: I, okay i thought we were going to talk about like how to schedule a we team could. meeting or we something could do that. i don't want to talk about that
1: <laughs> well thanks so much for
0: being here yeah thanks for having me. this is okay. fun
1: I certainly enjoyed myself in that conversation as I'm sure you can tell Louis Kornfeld folks one of my favorite improvisers teachers and people really great guy and uh, if you are in New York City and want to check him out and perform, if you've never seen him perform you've got to, on Cornfield and Andrews, they perform every Sunday night at the Magnet Theater, I believe he is still out of town this Sunday though, so you will have to uh, check him out another Sunday find out more information on magnettheater.com, maybe you can even take a class with him, again all information on magnettheater.com well that's this week's episode, next week's episode is with a really great comedian. It's someone who has been through the Magnet Theater, but she's not currently there. She's doing other amazing things in her life. Ginny Ann Hochberg, she is next week. You want to check that one out. And let me just make the announcement. Two weeks from today, I said that there's a big name in improv coming up, and it is two weeks from today. The man himself... Armando Diaz is going to be on the There It Is podcast. Heck yeah. I can't wait to share that one with you. Until next time, be good to each other.
0: The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.